It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by Price Picks. Price Picks is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to pricepicks.com slash locked on NBA and use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week, you might be already in it, it might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Rockets. Your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ignition sequence start. Oh, see, Elijah Wan has David Robinson. Just bamboozled. Kelly out of the corner for three hitters. Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion. The Houston Rockets select Yao Ming. McLeany at the buzzer. Yeah! Chris Paul puts it up Goes to hard on Thompson, steps right, shoots for the win of three. I know what we need to do. I know exactly what we need to do. Russell Westbrook, James Harden. I know what's at stake. It's gonna be scary. Not for us. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Rockets. I am your host, Jackson Gatlin, at JT Gatlin on Twitter. Producer with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship here in Houston. Now, as you may already notice, that intro was a little bit different than normal. I mentioned it a couple episodes ago that my background is as a producer with the flagship station. I like cutting audio. I like doing fun things. And I thought that would be kind of a unique, cool, fun way to get everybody hyped up and energized and ready to go for this season. If you like it. Let me know. If you hate it, maybe don't let me know or let me know in slightly nicer words. Um, We can keep it if you guys like it because, again, this podcast is for you guys. This isn't me. I'm not some authoritarian government from the Far East that is going to freak out about any little criticism about how I do things. I know I'm the new guy around here, you know, taking over for Ben earlier this month. And so if you guys don't like the intro, we can go back to the old one. Ben gave me permission to use that intro, so I have it at my disposal. It's still there. I didn't delete it or anything, but again, I thought this would be something cool to do for you guys, kind of honoring some of the past iconic moments for the Rockets and getting us ready and hyped for this season, for this pairing of James Harden and Russell Westbrook and all the amazing things that are to come. Now, there are a bunch of different things I want to talk about today. 
we've got the official final 15-man roster as well as two two-way contract spots. We've also got the recap of the Miami Heat game from Friday night. Defensive woes sort of continued. It's kind of hard to tell when you're giving up 133 points on about, what, 53% shooting for the Heat. Kind of hard to tell if it was defensive issues or if it was just the Heat were just shooting the heck out of the ball. Past that, we're also going to talk about some conference predictions, some award predictions, you know, MVP, Coach of the Year, Sixth Man of the Year, things like that. So with that, we're going to go ahead and just dive right in. Now, that Miami Heat game really, to me, felt like the first real preview of this Rockets team. Now, they were a little shorthanded. Obviously, Gerald Green is going to be gone for the whole season. So really, is it a Rockets team without Gerald Green? We'll have to learn to enjoy the Rockets without Gerald Green. I know it's going to be hard. I know I'm going to have a hard time doing it. And I know all of you are going to have a hard time doing it. But we have to come to terms with it together. Gerald Green is not going to be playing this season, more than likely, sitting out the entire season with that foot injury. That being said... This was really what felt like of the five preseason games the Rockets played. You know, the first against Shanghai, that's always just a total blowout. You know, it's it's never really a competitive affair. Shanghai comes over here. It's a marketing publicity thing more than anything. So they come over here, get blown out by 70. Then the Rockets go to Honolulu. They play the Clippers. And that still doesn't really feel like a great look at this team because we still don't have Russell Westbrook in the lineup. Then they fly halfway across the world and they play Toronto in a pair of back-to-back games. But even that didn't really feel like a great look at the team because, again, Russell, his first couple games in, hasn't played any basketball all summer after a pair of surgeries, you know, things of that nature. He just, he didn't quite have his rhythm yet, and he still really doesn't. You know, he's still working himself back in, getting those reps in, getting comfortable within this system with his new teammates with his new team with his new coach I mean it's a completely brand new environment for Russell Westbrook and again it'd be one thing to be traded and put into a brand new environment but it's another thing to be traded put into a brand new environment and then having not had the chance to even just play ball all summer you know he's really coming off of such a long hiatus that it's going to take some time to shake some of that rust off so those pair of games I don't really even count those and then they come back, and they're extremely jet-lagged for that San Antonio game. I mean, it was just so apparent that they were out there kind of, I don't want to say going through the motions because it did look like they were trying. It's just they were a half-step too slow. None of the guys had the bounce they normally do. There was just this sense of exhaustion. And I've said it before, you know, there's a number of things besides just the jet lag. Obviously, there was the whole Daryl Morey thing going on. With China, then you had the news of the Gerald Green injury, and there were a lot of things that could have taken mental and emotional tolls on the team that maybe their head just wasn't in it. You know, obviously, if your legs aren't in it, it's going to be really hard for your head to not be in it at the same time. So the guys just kind of struggled against San Antonio. So I'm not even going to chalk up that game. And again, it's a good thing it's preseason, right? Preseason kind of doesn't matter. It's just a time for the coaching staff to kind of work some kinks out with the roster, decide what the final 15-man plus two-way plus the two two-way spots are going to be, things of that nature. You know, Greg Popovich, one of the greatest coaches of all time, places zero stock in preseason. So if Greg Popovich can play zero stock in preseason, I feel like we can also place zero stock in preseason. That being said, 
the Miami Heat game this past Friday night actually felt like the first real kind of preview of this version of the Houston Rockets. You know, you had James Harden who had another incredible game. I mean, this guy is just absolutely ridiculous. Scored 44 points on slightly less of an efficient night than we usually expect from him. Shot 50% from behind the arc, which is still incredible. You know, 46% overall. Had five rebounds, seven assists. James Harden led the NBA in points per game as well as assists per game throughout the entire preseason, which honestly at this point, what else do we expect from him? I mean, he's the best offensive player in the NBA. I'll say it. You know, probably the most unguardable player in the NBA, at least this season. You can make an argument for Kevin Durant, but Kevin Durant's sitting out this season, so I'm going to go ahead and say it. James Harden is the most unguardable player in the NBA this season. Now, the rest of the lineup played pretty well. We got a first look at Daniel House as a starter again since he was starting last season. You know, Mike D'Antoni has come on record as saying that he plans on having two of James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Eric Gordon on the court at all times. That was kind of a nice preview as to what that's going to be. Again, I think that having Gerald Green out for the season may have impacted D'Antoni's decision to go ahead and jump the gun on that switch and moving Eric Gordon to the bench to have that punch-off-the-bench type player. Gerald Green, again, could be that guy for you. Gerald Green could come in and fill it up and you know hit two, three, four, three-pointers in a row really quickly off the bench. There's also plenty of games Gerald Green would come in and break a bunch of shots, but that's just who he is. He's a streaky shooter, and when he's on, he's on. When he's off, he's kind of off. But Eric Gordon fills that role for you and fills it with a bit more of a consistent type of player. He gives you that scoring threat off the bench, and the Rockets looked really good with that dynamic. With the starting lineup of Westbrook, Harden, House, Tucker, and Capella, I think that when you have Gordon in there instead of House, he just kind of has to sit there on the three-point line, and obviously that's what he does anyways, but when you have House in there, House isn't a guy who necessarily looks for his own shot as much as Eric Gordon does. You know, the three main scoring threats for this Houston Rockets team are going to be James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and Eric Gordon. So when you space those three guys out and you stagger their minutes, you have two viable, very viable scoring threats on the court at all times. Whereas Daniel House's skill set, his size, his athleticism, his ability to rebound the ball kind of helps a little bit versus Eric Gordon, who, like Mike D'Antoni has said, is kind of, you know, he's low to the ground. You know, Eric Gordon, 6'3", 6'4", not quite the size of Daniel House standing at about 6'7". You know, still arguably very athletic, but just a different level of athleticism than Daniel House has. So seeing that in the starting line, seeing House in the starting lineup showed kind of what this team is going to look like moving forward, and it's promising. Just seeing how... They meshed versus how it seemed all preseason. Russell Westbrook seemed a little bit more comfortable running that second unit alongside Eric Gordon, having so many different targets to pass to. And we got a glimpse of Russell Westbrook in his comfort zone. And I think that's so important. I think that Russell has been overthinking it to an extent, trying to think, okay, how do I how do I play second fiddle to James Harden? Or how do I not be in the way or whatever? And it seemed in that Miami Heat game that Russell finally just kind of let himself play within the flow of the offense. All the three-point shots that he took that night, he took five threes. He only hit two of them, 
still 40%, and it's still five more three-pointers than I'd be comfortable with Russell Westbrook taking, but the shots that he took, all five of them, they felt good. They felt like they were all taken really within the flow of the offense and that he wasn't forcing anything up like the first couple games that he had where he dribbled down the court and just jacked up a three a couple times, you know, trying to get in the flow of the game. The first couple shots he had, there were some mid-range shots in there that weren't great. His efficiency, so-so. He was 6 of 13 overall. Finished the game with 16 points, had four assists, also had four four turnovers, four rebounds. So, I mean, Russell's still trying to work his way in, and he's still trying to get acclimated to this system. But that game was very promising. It looked like the first game where Russell was comfortable in a Rockets jersey, and I'm really excited going into this opening night game against the Milwaukee Bucks this upcoming Thursday what is it, Thursday, October 24th, there we go, start of the Rocket season, 7 p.m. tip-off against the Milwaukee Bucks, best record in the NBA last season, so this is going to be a huge first test for this new-look Rockets team. Can they come out, and can they just, let's be honest, can they just punch Milwaukee in the jaw and make a statement? You know, all the critics are lined up ready to declare Russell Westbrook, James Harden a failure as soon as they start losing. Let's be honest, the national media really likes to hate on the Rockets. That's just been a trend for I don't know how many years now. So if the Rockets can come out and have a strong showing against the team with the best record in the NBA, in the NBA last year, the reigning MVP from the season prior, and just come out and play and win this game... It'll set the tone for the entire season. I feel like this game has a chance to feel like the very first game from the 2017-2018 season where the Rockets played Golden State, that very first game of the season, and they upset Golden State in the Bay. They went into Golden State's arena, and they upset them during their ring ceremony, and it really did set the tone for the whole season. Chris Paul played that very first game, and then following that sat out the next, what was it, 18 or 19 games until he came back about 20 games into the season, played against the Suns. But that game against the Warriors that season set the tone for what would be a historic Rockets season. And I feel like this upcoming game, opening night against the Milwaukee Bucks this Thursday, has a chance to set the tone for the entire Rockets season. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Berea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Berea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Now, a couple more things I want to touch base on about that Miami Heat game, the final preseason game for the Rockets, before we move on to the final roster announcements. Um, Eric Gordon shot the absolute lights out of the ball in that game. 
He was four of nine from behind the arc, so 44%. Now, it, looking at it now, it doesn't feel like he was four of nine. It feels like he hit more of those. He finished with 23 points. I mean, his first game coming off the bench in I don't know how long off the top of my head, but you know, Eric Gordon fits that six-man role so well. And like I said earlier, we'll get to it a little bit later on, kind of some of my predictions for the awards this season. And genuinely, I feel like Eric Gordon, if he spends, if he qualifies and spends enough time coming off the bench this season, Eric Gordon can easily win six man of the year again this season. And part of that is going to be kind of a two-part thing. um, And I'll get into that a little bit later on. But again, Eric Gordon had a very strong showing rest of the bench, Ben McLemore, Chris Clemens, both had a couple solid games. Ben, 3 of 5 from behind the arc. Clemens, uh, 2 of 4 from behind the arc. So good three-point shooting all around. As a team, the Rockets shot a blistering 44% from behind the arc, 22 of 49. That is promising. Hitting your threes, when the Rockets hit their threes, they are a tough team to beat. They were the best offensive team throughout the entire preseason, and they will more than likely be a top three offense this upcoming NBA season. The real question is their defense. Can their defense be, you don't even need elite defense. When you have an elite offense, you don't need an elite defense. You just can't have a bad defense. And Ben and I talked about this in the last pod. If you have a passable defense, if this Rockets team can come up with a, let's say top 10 would be ideal. Top 10 defense plus a top three offense, that is championship contender material right there. Now, more realistically, as long as they're not in the bottom 15 of the league, as long as they're not south of 15, then I think this team probably comfortably falls somewhere in that 10 to 15 range. My hope is for around 12. If we can be the 12th best defensive team in the league, along with having a top three offense, then I I really see this team going far. I see him getting maybe not another historic win season like a couple years ago, maybe not another 65-win season, but I can easily see them posting another 55-plus wins. James Harden guarantees you at least 50 wins, and I think that with the consistency and the just availability of Russell Westbrook, you know, the fact that he's not going to knock on wood, miss significant time with injuries, I think that that also raises the floor of this Rockets team to at least 55 wins, potentially more, as long as they take care of the teams they're supposed to take care of, as long as they win against the bad teams, take care of the games that they have to take care of. You know, you take care of business against the bad teams, and then you hope to go 50-50 against the good teams, and that'll give you a pretty solid record. That'll give you a pretty incredible record in the NBA if you take care of business against the bad teams and you just go 50-50 against the good teams. That's all you got to do. Apart from that, we did have Austin Rivers who left the game with a bit of, it was originally reported as shoulder soreness. Turns out it was more neck soreness. Um, Austin was just worried that he had, you know, maybe this, he faced this similar type of injury about a year ago when he was with the Wizards in preseason and he just didn't want to hurt himself, was playing it safe. And that's exactly what you want to do in preseason. You don't want to overexert yourself. It's not the playoffs. It's not a game seven, just If you feel a tweak, if you feel a tinge of pain, just go sit out, have the trainer look you over, and that's exactly what he did. It turns out it was nothing. He got some deep deep tissue therapy work done, and he is 100% ready to go for Thursday night's opener. Apart from that, not many other things to talk about from that Miami Heat game. Um, P.J. Tucker had some points where he had some shots that he probably should have taken, and that's maybe one of my negatives from the offensive end is P.J.'s looking a little gun-shy. 
Not sure why that is, um, but he needs to be taking any and all open three-point looks that come his way. That's his role, whether they're from the corner or from the slot or from the top of the arc. It doesn't matter. He needs to shoot the three ball and keep defenses honest because when P.J. doesn't shoot, all he's limited to doing is taking one or two dribbles and then picking up his dribble, you know, few feet inside the three-point line and then looking for a bailout pass at the top of the arc and that is not good basketball granted when you've got James Harden and Russell Westbrook those guys can usually bail you out of a situation like that but that's still not great basketball and PJ just needs to shoot his shots when he's given them now for the final 15-man roster looks like the Rockets are going with House, Tucker, Capella, Westbrook, Harden, Gordon, Cephalosha, Rivers, Tyson Chandler, Ben McLemore, Gary Clark, Isaiah Hartenstein, Ryan Anderson, Gerald Green is still on the roster, although injured, Nene, and then their two-way contracts will be Michael Frazier and Chris Clemens. Now, we know about Clemens, we know about how well he's performed in preseason, but for Frazier, basically, the Rockets were so impressed by him that they essentially did not want to lose his rights and he had such an impressive training camp that they decided to hold on to him and they're deciding to kind of give him a chance to work past this injury that he faced at the beginning of preseason and really give him a chance to maybe not necessarily fight for a roster spot, but obviously on a two-way contract, you know, he was critical to the Rio Grande Valley Vipers championship last season along Isaiah Hartenstein. So they obviously see something promising in him and it seems that they're going to give him a chance to stay on that two-way contract, maybe have some time at the NBA level if they decide to go really deep in their roster for a few games, maybe give guys some rest either late in the season, got, you know, maybe cut back on minutes for Harden and Westbrook. I don't know. Maybe D'Antoni's turned over a new leaf and decided he's going to go with a 10 or 11 or 12-man rotation on some nights to conserve minutes for certain guys. But as it stands, Michael Frazier has made it. I did not think he was going to make it originally. I was very firmly under the belief that the Rockets were going to stick to just one two-way contract once they announced the Chris Clemens signing. But it seems that they're going to go ahead and offer him, him being Michael Frazier, that two-way deal. So with that, again, your Rockets' final 15-man roster. Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon, Ben McLemore are your guards. Your wings and forwards are going to be Daniel House, P.J. Tucker, Tabo Cephalosha, Gary Clark, Ryan Anderson, and the injured Gerald Green. And then at center, you've got four guys, Clint Capella, Tyson Chandler, Isaiah Hartenstein, and Nene. The guys who did not make the cut were recently signed Mature Maker, Thon Maker's little brother, Ray Spaulding, and then Shamari Pons, unfortunately. Those three guys not making the cut. So Russell Westbrook loses his best friend in Spalding. I'm sure he'll be very disappointed about that. But that is your final 15-man roster plus two-way spots, two two-way spots for the Houston Rockets 2019-2020 season. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house, or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming, or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. 
TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All righty. So here at the end, just kind of as we wind things down, I'm going to branch a little bit away from the Rockets and just kind of touch on the NBA as a whole. Kind of want to talk about some of these awards, some of my standings, predictions, things of that nature, just kind of NBA as a whole type picture. So first thing I want to get into are going to be some of these awards, obviously, you know, MVP, coach of the year, defensive player of the year, things of that nature. Now, as far as the MVP award is concerned, I would really love to throw James Harden's hat in the ring. I mean, the man is a year-in, year-out MVP candidate, but I think that there's just too much of a mounting media narrative against him just in the national media. And it's not even that he's doing anything to warrant it. I think that he won his one MVP award, and as much as it pains me to say it, unless something drastically changes within the national media, I don't know if James Harden will ever win another MVP award, which really sucks to say, you know, because you can make the argument that he should have three by now. I think he should at least definitely have two. Now, you can argue which ones from which of the other three guys, Steph Curry, Russell Westbrook, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, should belong to James, but you can make an argument that he should have at least two, maybe even three current MVP awards, but then you can also make the same argument for LeBron James. You know, there have been, there were plenty of years earlier on in LeBron's career that he didn't win the MVP award, that he was in the conversation and you could have made an argument that he should have gotten the MVP award. So with that being said, for this upcoming season, I really feel strongly that either Nikola Jokic or Joel Embiid will win this year's MVP award. Jokic is probably my favorite between the two to win the award, and Embiid's more of a dark horse candidate to win it. But I think that both of those guys are such huge focal points for their respective teams. Embiid on both ends of the court, defensively and offensively, whereas Jokic just does everything offensively for those Denver Nuggets. I mean, and the kind of things that he's able to do as a big man are nothing short of incredible. So I've got both of those guys at the top of my list as far as candidates that I'm thinking are going to make a run at the award. And I know that's not the norm. Um, I can't remember the last time a center has been close to contention for the MVP award off the top of my head, but I think James Harden will still be in the conversation. Kawhi Leonard, if he plays enough games, will be in the conversation, but I kind of get this mounting feeling that the national media is going to want to go in a slightly different direction for the MVP award this year. Anthony Davis could maybe make a play for it. You know, new Anthony Davis on the LA Lakers with LeBron James, he might have a shot, but I'm really feeling either the Joker or the process for the MVP award. As for the Coach of the Year award, historically it's gone to a coach that's really overperformed. I mean, the last few years we've got Budenholzer, Dwayne Casey, Mike D'Antoni from the 16-17 Rockets, Steve Kerr, the 73-9 Warriors the year before that, Budenholzer again with the 60-22 Atlanta Hawks. So really it's consistently gone to a coach that has overperformed and had a pretty phenomenal record, all things considered. I mean, when you think about the Mike D'Antoni year that he won of the 
past five winners, so the past five years, Mike D'Antoni had the lowest win total out of all those coaches at just 55 and 27. However, Mike D'Antoni did come in. He was It was his first year with the Houston Rockets. Mike D'Antoni had a bit of a couple rough stops with L.A. and New York, kind of you know, people were wondering whether he, you know, still had any good coaching left in him. And he came to a Houston Rockets team that was coming off of the Dwight Howard era, kind of that really terrible 41-41 season. And so the Rockets had a huge bounce back, a resurgence under Mike D'Antoni, which led to Mike D'Antoni winning his second coach of the year award. So with that being said, I kind of think that this upcoming season, it's going to go to a coach that still has a respectable win total. You know, it's going to it's going to go to somebody who finishes, you know, top top 3, top 4 in their respective conference, and I think the candidate that makes the most sense is probably going to be Doc Rivers for the Clippers. I think that if he can make the Paul George Kawhi Leonard pairing work and if he can bring the Clippers from what were an 8th seed this past season all the way up into a top 4 seed territory, then I think Doc Rivers is probably going to be far and away the clear-cut favorite for Coach of the Year, you know, getting credit for making that pairing work. Another couple guys to keep an eye out for, I think, are going to be Quinn Snyder for the Utah Jazz and then Nate McMillan for the Pacers. I kind of expect the Pacers to play better than anybody expects them to this season. I think that once they get Victor Oladipo back, they're going to be a top-four seed in the East, and I think that Nate McMillan may very well be on his way to a Coach of the Year award because of that. Sixth Man of the Year award brings us back to the Houston Rockets, and I firmly believe, as I mentioned earlier, that Eric Gordon has a legitimate shot at winning that award, and it's kind of a two-part thing. Eric Gordon has won the award before. He's good in the role. I think that the two most iconic sixth men, when you think about them, are going to be Eric Gordon and Lou Williams of the Clippers. So I think that Eric Gordon has a legitimate shot to win this award, mainly because he fills the role and does it so well. I think even coming off the bench, Eric Gordon's going to be playing starter-level minutes. You know, he'll get 30-plus a game. And so his his scoring averages, his averages across the board, will mimic those of a starter, which, you know, influences the voters. But then on top of that, there's going to be a bit of a voter fatigue for Lou Williams, who's won it the last couple years. So when you factor in the voter fatigue for Lou Williams, the fact that Eric Gordon has won the award before, the fact that he's making that, you know, quote-unquote sacrifice moving back to the bench, even though it's not really a sacrifice. I mean, he's still getting starters minutes. He'll just be coming off the bench. And it just staggers the rotation better for the Rockets. So when you factor in all those things, I think that national media voters, they're going to look at it and think, oh, well, you know, if the Rockets play well enough, then Eric Gordon definitely deserves another another crack at the Sixth Man of the Year award. Defensive Player of the Year, I kind of am looking at Giannis again, Embiid, maybe follow, you know, getting into that discussion as well. But I think that Giannis, after his MVP award win, I think he's going to kind of still hone in and still be a force on that end of the court. And I think that he's enough of a kind of golden boy in the eyes of the NBA for the Milwaukee Bucks, kind of the, you know, dominant player in the Eastern Conference, that kind of thing, best team in the Eastern Conference. I think that national media voters would love to hand him another award. So I'm going to go ahead and pin him as my DPOY for this upcoming season. 
I'm not going to make a prediction for Executive of the Year award because, honestly, at this point, it's too hard to tell who has a chance to win it. There were so many major trades and acquisitions made this past NBA offseason with so much player movement. I mean, you've got the Kevin Durant trade to the Brooklyn Nets. You've got Russell Westbrook to Houston. You've got... Paul George being traded to the LA Clippers. I mean, there are so many different moves that have been made. And then touching base on that same Kevin Durant trade, D'Angelo Russell back to the Golden State Warriors was hugely beneficial for them as well. So it's really hard to tell who's going to win the Executive of the Year award. At the end of the day, it's going to be whichever one of those teams with the biggest, splashiest offseason trades finishes with the best record, more than likely. That's what's happened before. Daryl Morey won the award back in the 17-18 season after trading for Chris Paul and then finishing with the NBA's best record and a franchise best record, 65 wins for the Houston Rockets. So I think historically the award just goes to whoever made the best roster moves and then finished with the best record. I mean, last year it went to John Horst of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Bucks finished with the best record in the NBA. They also made some, you know, a handful of offseason acquisitions leading into last season that led to their best record. I mean, the signing of Brooke Lopez, things of that nature, nothing super flashy, but enough moves to be made to warrant giving him executive of the year. Really quickly before we wrap up, just briefly going to touch base on some of the conference standings. The East, I'm not going to get into too much detail on. Again, the Rockets are in the West, so I'm not going to focus on the East a little. Uh, I'm not going to focus on the East too much. Um, I think that far and away, the Bucks and 76ers are the top two teams in the East, followed by kind of a mix and match of the Raptors, the Pacers, the Heat, the Celtics, kind of that, you know, three through five or six range um same teams as last year more or less um now moving over to the west the conference we all care about it seems that the two teams that everybody seems to be writing off rather quickly are the oklahoma city thunder for obvious reasons trading away paul george and russell westbrook and then the san antonio spurs I agree with writing off the Thunder. I don't see them making it with an aging CP3 in place of Russell Westbrook. SGA is good, yes, but I don't see the Thunder cracking a top eight seed in this really rough Western Conference. And as far as the Spurs, every year it seems that everybody wants to write off the San San Antonio Spurs, and then every year Greg Popovich comes out and scrapes in with a 7th or 8th seed, and this year he's getting back DeJounte Murray, and he's getting another year of Derek White. He's getting another year of LaMarcus Aldridge and uh, DeMar DeRozan being paired together. I don't think it's smart to ever write off Greg Popovich and the Spurs. So for that reason, I don't see them falling out of the playoff picture. I do see the LA Lakers replacing the Thunder as that final team or not final team per se because they're not going to be at the bottom of the bottom of the playoff standings but I do see the Lakers replacing the Thunder and for the most part I don't see any other shakeups happening um the Jazz have potential to be a top four seed I'm still a, I'm still not completely sold on the backcourt pairing of Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell but I think that the teams that are going to be competing for the top seeds in the West Obviously, the Houston Rockets, um, every year for the past few years, they've competed for a top seed. And I think this season with Russell Westbrook and James Harden, as I mentioned earlier, the floor with James Harden is you know a 50-win team. I think that just the consistency and availability of Russell Westbrook kind of helps push that even higher. So I think the floor for this 
current Rockets team is probably about 55 wins, which I think guarantees you a top four seed. Now, I think that the Denver Nuggets are again going to be another, they're the team that didn't really make any explosive trades or any you know super big splashy deals this offseason but they brought in jeremy grant they've got another year of that young core playing together they're going to get michael porter jr back this season i think there's a lot of things looking really really good for the denver nuggets and i think they have potential to push for another top seed this year again they were neck and neck with golden state for much of the season last year for the one seed and then at the tail end kind of lost some games and wound up being the number two seed so i kind of see the rockets and the Nuggets, and then probably the Lakers all kind of competing for that top seed. A lot of people have the Clippers pegged as a top seed, but I think that because of Paul George missing the first month or month and a half of the season with that shoulder injury, and then having to come back and kind of work his way into the system and get integrated and you know get comfortable playing alongside a guy like Kawhi Leonard, I think that those are going to be some growing pain issues that they're going to have to face in the middle part of the season as opposed to the opening of the season, like the Rockets with integrating Russell Westbrook. And I think that that's going to cause them some bumps and bruises along the way. So I could very easily see a reality where the Clippers actually don't crack a top four seed and the top four teams wind up being some combination of, say, the Rockets, Nuggets, Lakers, and Utah Jazz. But the Clippers are still going to be a competitive ball team. And I think that roughly those are going to be your four or five top seeded teams. And then you've got your following tier teams. You've got your Portland Trailblazers. You've got your San Antonio Spurs. You've got your Utah Jazz if they're in the in the lower bracket. And then there's a potential if Zion Williamson stays healthy, there's a potential that this new look Pelicans team could crack an eighth seed and really, you know, knock somebody else out of the playoffs. You know, I think it's hard to imagine a situation in which maybe the Portland Trailblazers, you know, don't live up to their expectations and fall short of the playoffs, or maybe the Spurs do finally miss the playoffs for the first time in over 20 years, something along those lines. But there's a bunch of really young, promising teams in the Western Conference, the Pelicans, the Kings, who barely missed the playoffs last year, the Mavericks with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. I mean, those three teams are young, on-the-rise teams that are going to be making noise in the playoffs in a few years but as of right now they're kind of on the cusp looking in but it's still very possible that one of them has and a one of them has a season that is better than expected and cracks that playoff window sooner rather than later so i think the rockets are going to be pushing for a top four seed easily i think that's what we all expect from them but I think that they're going to be pushing for top two alongside really the Denver Nuggets. I think the Nuggets and the Rockets I've got pegged as my one-two seed. I'm not sure who's going to finish where. Obviously injuries play into that. Obviously injuries play into that. But the Rockets and the Nuggets are the two teams that have the most consistency as far as their cores go. I mean, obviously you traded Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, but Westbrook is still just fitting into a role that he's already played before and there's less worry about integrating him I think than integrating a player like Mike Conley for the Utah Jazz who run a different system than the Rockets do where the ball isn't necessarily in Conley's hands as much as it is Russell Westbrook Westbrook you know you give him the ball you basically run the same offense that with Russell Westbrook that you run with James Harden. Give him the ball, run high screen and roll, attack the basket a lot, set up three-point shooters. You know, it's the same thing that they ran with Chris Paul, just with a different player. So as far as integration goes, I think that 
the Rockets and the Nuggets, who didn't make any major changes, have the most consistency as far as teams coming back from the previous season into this next season and just taking what they've already built and moving forward with it. Whereas teams like the Clippers, the Lakers, the Jazz with Mike Conley and uh, Bogdanovich, you know, guys like that having to really work multiple pieces into a into an existing system. The Rockets just have to work in Russell Westbrook into a role that was already being filled by Chris Paul, just, you know, slightly different type of player. And then the Nuggets, obviously no major acquisitions. So I think there's something to be said for consistency from those two teams and being able to just take it and run with it at the start of the season. I think that's where I'll go ahead and leave things off for today, this Sunday, October 20th. As always, thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want more content before our next show, social media is where everything's happening all the time. I'm on there, at JT Gatlin. Ben DuBose is on there, at Ben DuBose. And the show is on there, at Locked on Rockets. Past that, there's Facebook, which is found at facebook.com slash LockedOnRockets, the website, LockedOnRockets.com, and then the email address, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. All of these are different ways that you can consume content about your Houston Rockets. You can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, place any advertising inquiries you may have, let me know if there's anything we can do to improve this experience for you, our listeners. Beyond that, if you'd be kind enough to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya, wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts at, if you could just take the time to please subscribe and give us a five-star review. That's how you get the benefit of episodes straight to your inbox before it's published to the previously mentioned social media outlets, and then we get the benefit of looking attractive to potential advertisers and keeping the business model rolling along as the most regular podcast covering Houston Rockets basketball. For this Sunday, October 20th episode, this is going to be where we'll break. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to have you back again soon right here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked on podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.